So for the last month, we have been reciting the portions of the small catechism that deal with baptism as we come near to the end of the church year. And we've talked about what baptism is, what benefits it gives, who receives the benefits, and what is its ongoing effect in our lives. But during our sermons, we have been studying the opening verses of 1 Peter, this great epistle written by the one that Jesus called the rock, the one who was the disciple who said he would never leave or abandon Jesus, only to deny knowing him three times, but whom Jesus then commissioned after his resurrection to tend his lambs and feed his sheep. This morning, both of these converge, the study of baptism and 1 Peter. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, the verses that we have in John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And now Peter, the beginning of this second chapter of his first letter writes, like newborn infants or we might even say like ones born again, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is preaching, you see, to the newly baptized, to new people of God, and talking not simply about the things we often talk about in the catechism, about what baptism does for me, And what it does to my relationship with God, which is frees me from the shackle and guilt of sin and the power of the devil and the fear of death. But Peter now gets into more detail of what baptism does for our relationship with each other. How being the baptized people of God makes us different in the world and how God, in fact, works through us for the benefit of his fallen creation. Peter starts by saying those who are baptized are living stones. Deb and I have spent too much time the last couple of weeks trying to pick new stone for our house that is finally being repaired, trying to make sure that it looks good and will support the roof so that the whole house doesn't fall down again. This reference, of course, that Peter is making is not to ordinary houses, but to the stones of the temple itself. Now, the temple was gorgeous. The temple was beautiful. The work that Herod had done on that second temple that had started being rebuilt after the exile to Babylon was so great that it was almost a wonder of the world. People came from all over to see this beautiful temple. The temple, though, had a purpose. It wasn't just to be a tourist attraction. The point of the temple in Jerusalem was to be where the people of God and beyond the people of God, the nations of the world could come to meet the God who created heavens and earth and meet that God and see his grace and mercy and forgiveness. They would come there to see the God who forgives by the shedding of blood and not our blood, but first the blood of animals and then finally the blood of his one and only son. Peter says that baptism turns us into living stones. The implication then is that we, as the newly baptized, are the new temple of God. A temple not built with bricks and stones that you can pick out from a catalog, 
but a temple made of flesh and blood, you and I, in whom the Holy Spirit now dwells. We are being built into God's new temple. And God intends, just as he did through that old temple in Jerusalem, to meet the people of the world in and through us. To live in us by the Spirit and to place us on the firm foundation that is Christ, the cornerstone of this whole new edifice. Peter says that when we are baptized, we become a chosen race. Now, I wish our translation didn't say race, because really there are no races. There's only one race, the human race. And really the word is better translated as nation. Now, the truth of the matter is that humans do divide themselves up into many nations based on all sorts of things. We usually think of a nation in terms of geography, a group of people that believe one thing or speak one language or have one skin color or have one common line of descent. And we use our nationalities to build each other up on the bones of others, don't we? It makes it hard to look at other people as human when we are of one nation and they are of another. The Jews consider themselves God's nation, his chosen people. Now, that's true, except the problem with the Jews, as can be the problem with Christians, even in our day, is we start to think of ourselves not as the people whom God has chosen, but as the people who have chosen God the right God, the true God. And that makes us special because we are right and everyone else is wrong. And isn't that great for you and for me? It becomes a status symbol. We are superior to the others and they are inferior. You and I were chosen, called, and named in baptism to be part of Christ's nation. We became God's newborn babies, which we gladly say, and we did not earn this, especially those of us who were baptized as babies. We didn't ask and beg and plead with our parents to bring us to the font to become part of this chosen nation. God chose us. God gave us a new name, and God makes us his people. And everyone is invited into this nation. It is not an exclusive nation. There are no work visas. There are no passports. There are no border walls. We invite everyone to come and in baptism receive their passport to become part of God's chosen forever and eternal nation. Peter also says that when we're baptized, we are made royalty. We are made part of a royal household, kings and queens in God's family. Now, just yesterday, we crowned a new monarch, a new king of Canada for the first time in 70 years. Now, what do kings do? Well, at their most basic level, kings reign. Send him victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the king. Kings don't have a lot of things to worry about. They have carriages and horses and horsemen and musicians and cooks and chefs and housekeepers, and they can simply have everything looked after for them. They aren't people who normally have to serve. Peter says that in our baptism, we have been made royalty. 
you and I are the true kings and queens of the earth. According to Jesus, if you believe what he has to say. Except that unlike the earth's kings, we are called not to abuse our authority or use it to lord over others. But because we have been set free from fear, we are, after all, at the top of the pyramid. We can, in fact, serve the rest of the world. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, you know, the rulers of the nations lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or as Luther put it in his very famous writing, The Freedom of the Christian, a Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. And a Christian is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. That's the kind of royalty we have been made in our baptisms. We are also not just a nation who is royal, but a nation made up of priests. Our new monarch, King Charles, is also still the head of the Church of England, defender of the faith, or as he likes to style himself, defender of faith. It has always been very, very, very hard to separate kings from priests, to separate politics from religion. And it's probably why both of them are topics that we avoid in polite company or at a cocktail party. Peter, though, says that those of us who have been born again in the waters of baptism are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are kings and priests. And what does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifices for others, that others might be reconciled to God through their work. You and I are priests, and when we gather here together, whether it's Sunday morning or Thursday at noon or any other time, we are gathered as God's holy nation to offer our sacrifices on behalf of the world. Our sacrifices are different than the priestly sacrifices for which I am ever thankful. I'm so glad I don't have to be the priest who is constantly cleaning all the blood off of their robes. Deb is probably glad for that too. Getting blood out of white is not easy. But we are called to offer sacrifices that are hymns, that are prayers, even our offerings, our time, our talents, whether we are sitting and studying and learning or speaking and teaching or serving, we are all exercising our function as priests. And we pray not just for ourselves, we pray for the whole world. You are holy, you see. And as priests, we pray for those who are not yet holy, that they might repent of their sins and live. And if it's not enough that as the baptized people of God, you have been made kings and queens and made priests, you are also prophets, which is something we don't think about very often. And yet it's the very last thing that Peter says, you as Christians baptized in that water have been called upon to do. 
to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that what prophets do? Proclaim the excellencies of God? Tell everyone what God has done for them and how he's done it for them? That is a gift that you have been given as the baptized, as priests and as kings and queens, to announce to the world the path out of darkness and into the light. Sin is darkness. Our world has fallen into darkness. Darkness is unknowing, untrusting, unsure of what will happen next. There's a reason why horror films, scary movies, are not filmed in broad daylight. They're filmed in the dark so that you don't know where the monsters are. The best video games have jump scares that always happen when all the lights go out. Though there was one exception, there was a game that I played once that was got terrible reviews precisely because they built up all of this horror, all of this terror in the darkness, and then turned on all the lights right before the monster comes. And everyone said, you're kind of missing the point when you do that. Now, light in and of itself does not chase the monsters away but it does show where they are and it reveals their shape. Can flashlights fight bugs? No, but with a flashlight, you know exactly where to aim the raid. We proclaim Christ who reveals the soariness of the world and our own hearts that we might find salvation in the one whom we crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Luther spoke of our baptism being a drowning and a dying. We just recited that all together a few moments ago. But also that it's the birth of a new man. And we are born again in water and the spirit to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been saved by Christ, delivered from sin, death, and the devil, that through us, God might continue to love and serve and indeed save our neighbors from sin, death, and the devil. That we might be a living temple in which the world can find a loving and gracious and forgiving God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.